0: You're listening to the New Life Podcast. We're one church in multiple locations based out of Aberdeen, South Dakota. We hope this message helps the gospel come alive for you and gives you an opportunity to encounter Jesus in a whole new way. For more info on New Life, you can check out our website at www.newlifeaberdeen.org. Let's get ready to listen to today's message. And so if you have your Bibles... I think I told you this last week, we are talking about franchise players in the Old Testament all summer. Those guys and and women that chose faith over what? Do you remember? Fear. And so we've been looking at how they live in these unsettled times, but God's using them for amazing purposes and he's setting them apart to do his work. And so we looked at these franchise players, these people that everyone knows from Moses to Abraham. Before this even started, I spent several weeks in David, and it's like these stories that bring you comfort because you've heard of them. And then last week, we changed the tune of the entire series, and I preached on a guy named Habakkuk. And just just to be perfectly transparent, if you're in the sanctuary at least, or you can raise your hand at home this morning, how, how many of you... Before we preached on Habakkuk last week, it's okay to raise your hand because New Life, we like to be honest around here. How many of you have never even heard of him? Right, he, He's got his own book of the Bible, but it's so quick if you blink or you sneeze in your Bible it'll just scatter through the pages and you'll be on to the next minor prophet. He's just not a guy that gets a lot of airtime, and I just decided, let, let's just take a character in the Bible as we start wrapping up the Old Testament in these next few weeks where he kind of looks like us and that most of us aren't well-known or famous, but he's just an everyday guy doing extraordinary things for the kingdom of God, and so he has this question, and most books in the Old Testament, when they're written by a prophet, is this dialogue between God, the prophet, and the people, and the reason this story is so unique is it kind of cuts out the people, and it's just this back-and-forth exchange. He kind of looks like a better Jonah. But it's this back and forth exchange between Habakkuk and God. And so he starts the book out. And and oftentimes when you start a book of the Bible, and Paul's a great example of this, when you start a book of the Bible, you'll start off soft. And Paul likes to rip people if they're wrong. But even when he starts off his book, he kind of says things like, Greetings in the Lord, brothers and sisters in Christ. You guys ever know that if you have to make a criticism, you usually start out nice and then you end, you know, with the real truth? That happens a lot in scripture. Not Habakkuk. He just goes right at it with God. And his big question before the Lord, in fact, it looks a lot like our big questions before the Lord. His big question before the Lord that we looked at last week is this simple statement that all of us have asked. He says, I see all of these things happening on planet Earth. More importantly, I see all these things happening in my backyard, and I just want to know something. Why? Why, God, are things so bad? And so things weren't kind of bad. 600 years before Christ, 600 years-ish before Christ, the Babylonian Empire was in full swing, and they were just wiping people out. And so Habakkuk goes to the Lord, and he sees his own people sinning, and he says to God, he says, why, if you are good, why, if you are uh, faithful, why are you allowing all of these things to happen? And so God answers him, and he says, I see all these things happening, and the solution I have to your problem is I'm going to now let Babylon in, and they are going to do some damage to God's people. And so this book starts with intensity. This book starts with this passionate plea before the Lord. And I want us to look at it together because last week we skipped over the first part. We're gonna take the first part of the book. It's just literally, you could listen to it on your way from here to Walmart after church. It's that short. But I'm gonna take the first few verses and the last few verses because last week was everything in the middle. And we're gonna look at this exchange that looks an awful lot like us between Habakkuk and God. Look at how he questions God. This is what he says to God. He says in verse one, the oracle that Habakkuk, the prophet, saw. And he says, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear or cry to you violence and you will not save? Familiar? How long are you going to let me suffer and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise. And then he says this, so the law is paralyzed. They're living by the Old Testament law of God. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. And check out this verse. He says, for the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. How many of you feel like you're living in that time right now? I couldn't pass this book up. I'm thinking in my head as I kind of skim through it, I'm like, man, if all the things that we've talked about this summer, I just feel like I have a special connection to this minor prophet because his complaints oftentimes sound like my complaints. And so he has these pointed questions for God, these raw questions for God. And he makes this statement that we went over last week. He says basically in essence, why are the bad guys winning? And he's just listing out, you know, this this whole scroll of complaints. It's like an Old Testament connection card. He he just lays them out before anyone who will listen. He says, here's my problem. Here's the information that I want you to know. And, and And he has all these why statements And maybe your why statements have nothing to do with Babylon because Babylon is long gone. But take a look at this. How many why statements do we have in our own context? Why, God, if I have cancer and you are good and you are faithful, do I still have cancer? Why, God, if you are all about marriage, which he is, it's a covenant, and it's supposed to be good, why is my marriage so difficult and why have I repeatedly prayed for a lobotomy for my spouse and you have not heard My cry. Why, God, if you are so faithful, do you continue to allow me to be in a work environment where I know twice as much as my boss, I work five times as hard as him, and I get a quarter of their pay? And he just keeps going with these things that look like our own life. And so sometimes our whys are perfectly justified. Sometimes, I know not your whys, but my whys look more like a pity party. And how many of you can relate to this reality, that sometimes our whys are just a broken record in our head? And he says, why, 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 why? And so here's what I told you last week. And we're going to dig into this complete transition in scripture as to where he takes this text. Because Habakkuk has a radical transformation, not in his circumstance, but in his thinking. But he takes this conversation and he does something that oftentimes we do. It's kind of a self-reflective type of thing. Here's what I've come to realize about whys. I take about 20% of my whys and I cast them on a larger context as to everything going on around the world. And then about 80% of my personal whys have to do with my personal experience and why my life's not as good as I think God should make it. Because what I found out about wise is although oftentimes they can be about someone else, a lot of times they're kind of a pity party, right? And so Habakkuk uses this analogy that I think he's very proud of. He says, it's kind of like fishing and the bad guys are the ones fishing and all of God's people are in the ocean. This is the end of chapter one. All of God's people are in the ocean and it's like the bad guys are just reeling up the fish with their nets and they're slicing them open and they're having their way. And the bad guys are winning and the fish are getting trapped. And he says, there's this great contrast that I just can't wrap my mind around. That on one side of the coin, you're sovereign, you're good, you're faithful, you work out all of your plans according to your own purposes, and you have your way on this earth, and I know these things to be true, but at the same time, these people that are killing children, these people that are killing their enemies, these people that will turn on themselves, these people are just absolutely devastating, evil people are winning named Babylon, and I just can't reconcile these two things before the Lord. And so I have this question, and the question is why. And so God steps up in chapter 2, and you would think that he systematically answers every question that Habakkuk has. But true to life, true to your story, and true to my story, he just simply says this. He says, Habakkuk, maybe you remember it from last week. In chapter 2, I think it's verse 4 or 5, he says this. He says, Habakkuk, the righteous shall live by what? You awake, the righteous shall live by faith. And what he says in essence is this. He says, Habakkuk, here's what I want you to do. I know you have all of these things that you're pondering, but I just want you to trust me and know that I'm God and I've got this. Why the injustice? Why is everything so perverted? Why are the wicked winning? He says, trust me. And in my own life, you guys... God says that a lot. You lay out all of your questions before the Lord, and he just basically, in essence, says, I know, and I'm not turning a blind eye, I'm not turning a deaf ear, but what I want you to do in the midst of the struggle is I want you to know that I've got this. And so now you get into chapter three, and everything shifts. He has this dialogue with God, and then he does something that most of us don't do. Has anyone ever written a song before? You're like, I'm not raising my hand because maybe you want me to sing it or something like that after church. Habakkuk writes a song. And in that song, there's this narrative shift that takes place in his life. You start to see his thinking patterns start to change. And if the song had a title, it would kind of be this, no matter what, you are faithful. No matter what, I can trust you. And my situation might not change, but my faith is being radically shifted. And so in this song, you see something in his heart that I want to walk through for the next few minutes. I'm going to give you a few things. They're sermon Buck statements, They're adult bucks statements. You guys know that you're actually going to cash out as adults as you leave this sanctuary or listen online. It's true, Pastor Chuck has a bunch of ones, he's just going to start paying you out. But you're going to write these things down, and and here's why these things are so important to me. Here's why we're spending two weeks on this instead of one. When I look at this formula for Habakkuk's life, I see that this is the same formula that's used over and over and over again when people go from freer to freedom. Check it out, verse 16 of chapter 3 in this short book. This is how it all ends up. This is what he says. He says about the Babylonians, I hear and my body trembles. I hear and my lips quiver at the sound. Look at how raw and honest he is. He says, rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet, underline that, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who have invaded us. He's saying, God, you are faithful no matter what. And the way that I'm going to start to experience this freedom that you have for me is I'm going to start by just acknowledging with all the raw emotions that I have to describe the experiences that I'm feeling, I am going to address the fear, write that down, that's in my life. The Babylonians were terrifying. In fact, Lamentations was written, and Jeremiah is just kind of laying these things out before the Lord. He's saying, it's actually happened. He's waiting for something, the crisis to take place, and it actually happens. It's not just a figment of his imagination. He's not just overdoing it or overly concerned. All of these things play out in his life, and he addresses this fear. He says, my body trembles and my lips quiver, rottenness enters my bones. And here's what I know. I know that this fear and anxiety, because those two things are directly linked, I know that these things, on a very practical level, have physical consequences in your life and my life. And so if you're paralyzed by fear or you're dealing with great levels of anxiety, you're going to see some of the same things that Habakkuk describes in this verse of the bible as he closes this thing out and he addresses this fear these realities of shortness of breath these are some things that fear and anxiety can do in your life right your your heart and your blood pressure hypertension and in fact I was watching this did you guys know this about stress and fear I know it's true because it was on an infomercial And maybe you've seen the same infomercial. In fact, I see a few doctors sitting here looking at me this morning, and you you probably know this is true, not on a practical level, but as a doctor, because it's not true of your life, but it's true of some others. Did you know that fear and anxiety and stress actually can cause belly fat? And I know the doctors I'm looking, that doesn't apply to them, but that, you know, for me, I actually have to see myself once in a while on live stream, and I'm going, I must have a lot of stress in my life. I mean, there's these physical consequences to stress and anxiety. He's saying, my lips quiver, my knees shake. I'm not kind of scared. I'm incredibly scared. But he takes this ownership position, and he says this, that I'm going to trust God, that there's going to be a day where he deals with my enemy and because God is God and I am just a man, I'm going to leave it at his table and I'm not going to be consumed by those fears that are trying to take me over because my God is Jehovah, my God is good, my God can do whatever God wants to do and I'm going to take this position of questioning God to a position of I'm just going to believe that his plans are good. There are 365 days in a year, except for leap year, right? There are 365 times in the Bible where the Bible specifically says, fear not. Why? Because we're a scared people. There's nothing new under the sun. 2,600 years later, we're preaching on choosing faith over fear. And so Habakkuk's getting to the root of the problem. And here's here's what I think about Habakkuk. I'm just going to try to read his mail for a second. I want you to stay with me. I think he's been scared all along, obviously, and all of those questioning statements, all of those seemingly resentful types of comments that I just read to you in verses 1 through 4, I think all of that has an underlying cause, and I'm trying to get to the story behind the story because I think he's been scared the entire book but it manifests in this upfront, in your face, come out swinging type of mentality where he starts saying, Why, God? Why are the perverted getting justice and the people that are innocent are being persecuted? Why is all this happening? And it looks like anger. Check this out. But here's what I know about anger anger is just a surface level emotion. The story behind the story is that Habakkuk is scared. And all of that anger and frustration and angst is doing where he's experiencing all these physical symptoms of fear. All of those things and emotions are just telling on him that the story behind the story is that there's a deeper rooted problem of faith. And that's why God goes right for the jugular in chapter 2. And he says, the righteous shall live by faith. Anger is a surface level emotion. Let me show you what I mean. I was about in 7th grade and I was a perfect angel. Never caused one problem for my mom. My sister's actually going to be in church second service. She can verify this. (laughs) And as a seventh grader, I I might have been a bit rambunctious and I could never sit still. And now at 40, same thing. But I was about in seventh grade and I was at my friend's house. We used to go to these friends' house uh, almost monthly because they had a swimming pool and we wanted to use it. And so we would go over there and we would grill out. And I was trying to impress the girls and uh, nothing new under the sun. I was trying to impress the girls as a seventh grader and show them how athletic I was. And so I jumped out of the pool. My mom's sitting. My mom doesn't have anxiety. She has anxiety through the roof, at least when I was a teenager. Things have calmed down now that I left the house. But I I ran towards going inside to get something to eat. And I, I think I just wanted to show these girls around me how fast and how springy I was. And I ran into the house, and there was this sliding glass door. And I ran right into it, but because they called me super chicken at that age and I had no meat on my bones and my biggest attribute were my knobby knees, for some reason, by God's grace, I hit that sliding glass door. Here's the good news about sliding glass doors. They're thicker than you think. And I just bounced off of it, and my mom lost it. She took me into the bathroom. I can remember this bathroom. I can remember the smells. That's a little graphic. I can remember the wallpaper. I can remember, you know, you think you'd remember the pool and the barbecue. I remember the bathroom. She took me into this bathroom and embarrassed me. I was 12, 13 years old. I was like the same age as my middle child. And she just reamed me. She just starts yelling at me about how could you be so, you know, whatever. I'll leave the details out of it. And I would think, what? I, like, I literally could have died, and she is furious with me. But, but here's back to my point. The reason I tell you that story is I want to lock this concept into your mind. My mom was what? What was my mom? She was scared. And it manifested in anger. Because anger is a surface-level emotion, and anger always tells on you that something else is wrong And so the story behind the story is she was scared that I was about to lose my life acting like a stupid 12-year-old. But in doing so, it manifested in anger. And I think that's what's going on in this text. Finally, you're getting to the root of the problem. He's scared for his life. And all of these feelings that he's experiencing as this book starts are related to anger. But anger isn't really what's driving his behavior. And so he starts to get to the bottom of that. And here's why I tell you all of it. He starts experiencing freedom that God is calling you to. He's open and honest with God. And look at how his honesty plays out. There's the last few verses of this text. He says this. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom. They ate a lot of figs. So everything he's going to say is, this is my livelihood. This is how I eat. This is how I live. And I'm not getting any figs, and so I'm hungry. He says, nor fruit beyond the vines. The produce of the olive fail. Olive oil was a huge ingredient to their diet. The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. And so he's saying, I've got no figs, I've got no fruit, I've got no crops, I've got no livestock, I am starving out here. He says this, and this is what I want you to underline, because we're going to hammer this and close this thing out. Yet, underline it, yet I will what? I will rejoice in the Lord, I will take joy in the God of my salvation and so he experiences this freedom and what he does is he takes all of his chips slides them across the table and he does what we have to do this morning he just surrenders the why to God does he still have questions absolutely but he takes all of these questions and he says I am going to choose to follow you regardless of whether or not they're answered, and regardless of whether or not they're answered to my satisfaction, because my starting point now, as I sing you this song of my love and affection, is that I will follow you no matter what. Habakkuk starts the book with a fundamental list of questions. Here's what's interesting Habakkuk ends the book with the exact same questions. I don't see anywhere in this narrative where God gives him a detailed position as to why all of these things are happening. So questions are good. Questions can draw you close to the Lord. But if you're contingent on God answering questions to your satisfaction, the problem with that mentality is this. There will always be another one. And so just when you think you've got it solved and you can understand why God does every little thing that God does in his life, if you are literally contingent on the right answer and it has to meet your standard, there's just going to be another question that's going to stumble you up. And so Habakkuk asks questions, but he doesn't ask questions with a contingency offer. Right? You guys ever sold a house? You get into this situation, which I don't even fully understand. There's these things called contingency offers. And it's like, here, you can buy this house uh, if you can sell your house in time. And if you can't sell your house in time, then I can just sell it to whoever else comes with an offer before me. And I think it's just kind of this false sense of security where maybe, maybe, maybe you can buy this house of your dreams. And there's these things called contingency offers. And so we're questions before God. They're not, they're not contingency offers. Right? It's not. I will do this if you meet this criteria. I will buy this house if my house sells in a certain amount of time, and if you stick to a certain financial plan, and if you do everything the way this whole thing's written up. God responds to Habakkuk in this question form where he says, I am going to give you some answers, but when I'm going to give you some answers, it's not a contingency type of offer. I am going to do what I see fit, and you're going to follow me no matter what. He doesn't ask these questions with the wrong heart because the wrong heart doesn't just say, I have some things that I want to know. The wrong heart says, I actually want to place myself in a position above you because I want to play God. And so what Habakkuk does is he surrenders these things to God and he starts living in freedom. And I just want to read this to you one more time. He says, no, the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. I just want you to really make sure you underline this at bare minimum in your mind. He says, yet, yet I will rejoice in my salvation. I will rejoice in the Lord and you are my strength. And so here's the closer. As he has this radical mind shift where he puts God in his rightful place in his life, He does something that has the potential to change your life and my life. And check this out. He just chooses to worship. It's not a contingency, and I just want to put that on the screen so you can see that, and I want you to write that down. It's not a contingency offer. It's something that regardless of my situation, I am going to be obedient to you, and I'm going to choose to worship you. I'm hungry and I'm scared, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I am a firm believer in the therapeutic process in counseling, and so I'm sure because of the day we live in and the times that we live in, many of you have been in counseling, and one thing that you've probably found if you've been in counseling, whether it be a marriage issue or, you know, a teenage issue or anything like that, something that you will find is that it's incredibly expensive, amen? If you don't go to a mental health center or you're not on a sliding scale or if you don't have insurance, you're probably going to pay like $167 an hour for counseling. So because I love you, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna give you the first five sessions in 10 seconds free. Because what I'm gonna tell you next is gonna take the counseling process, it's gonna move it from point A to at least five sessions in where people finally start to understand a statement that I'm about to make. And this statement has the power to radically change your life when it comes to experiencing freedom from bondage. And here's the statement. If you spend time with me in counseling, I would just imagine, because I've been doing this a long time, that the first five sessions, I'm not going to charge you that rate. I'm just saying it's expensive, okay? (laughs) If you go to a professional counselor, it's expensive. But if you spend time with me in counseling, here's the thing that we're going to grind on for about the first five sessions where I want you to hear this because this first five sessions is free, and I want you to write it down. Here's the therapeutic value of everything that Habakkuk just said, and it's this statement, what you tell yourself I'm talking about like 750 bucks. Are you ready? What you tell yourself fundamentally matters. That dialogue in your head that you see transition with this minor prophet is so incredibly important for you to have that transformation that you've been looking for in your life. What you tell yourself fundamentally matters. And here's why I bring that up. And here's why I keep pounding on you to underline this statement in your Bible. What Habakkuk does in this mind shift that we're going to close this thing out with is he chooses to worship, and here's what he says to himself. He doesn't have a contingency offer. He doesn't lay his requests to the Lord and then make this contingency offer and say, If you decide to change A, B, and C, then I will follow you. I will give you my life. I will give you my fears. I will give you my transgressions. I will be obedient to every word you say, and I will hang on it, and I will love you. If you are my sugar daddy and you do everything that I want you to do. The most destructive thing, look at me, the most destructive thing that you can tell God is if. And the most important thing you can tell God is yet. What you tell yourself fundamentally matters in your relationship with God. And if you don't have that dialogue of prayer where you have a transformation of your heart because the Holy Spirit's working in your life, you are going to stumble and stumble and stumble, $167 after session, 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 if you don't change that one word in your life and your relationship with God. He says all of these things are true. And here is what's so beautiful about how he closes this thing out. All of those things, the blossoms, the figs, the grain, the crops, the meat, all of it, I'm still hungry And he doesn't say, if you do this, then. He makes this massive statement of self talk, talking to God Himself, and he says, Yet you are good. Yet I will worship you. Yet I will choose to follow you no matter what. Yet I will have faith over fear the massive divide in your mind that's taking you from a place of destructive thoughts, from just low levels of faith to a poor relationship with God to a self-centered type of theology is if to yet. Yet I will follow you no matter what. The thing about storms, you guys, there's one around every corner. Amen? Like if you're not in one, Good luck, you're just you're just about to be. And so that's the encouraging word that we're gonna close with. The storm is coming. But it's true. The storm is coming. If you're not just out of one, you're in one. If you're not in one, you're coming into one because that's just the way the world works. Christ knows all of these things and this storyline that seems so hopeless because Babylon is about to invade is only pointing us to something that we have such an advantage over over this guy named Habakkuk. We look get to look forward to A risen Savior, Christ, who's coming on the scene. Who's no stranger to affliction and pain and betrayal. Who has plenty of why type of thoughts probably in his own mind. And he actually has this similar type of dialogue with God. He says if there's any other way before he goes to the cross, he says, God, take it from me. He's raw in how he deals with God himself as the son of God. But he knows as we walk through this life, there's going to be trials and tribulations. But he makes this statement, and maybe you've heard it. He says, take heart. I've overcome the world. He's meeting with his disciples in Matthew chapter 14. And they're having this interaction where he's feeding people. And it goes from a place of, wow, look at what God did to, hey, I need you guys to go across this lake. I need you to cruise across on this boat. And they go on the boat, and maybe you've heard the story before. Jesus stays back. Jesus decides that he's gonna go on a mountain, and he's gonna pray. And he goes on the mountaintop to pray, all of a sudden the wind kicks in. And here's why I tell you this story Jesus is sovereign, Jesus knows everything, true or false. Jesus knows this wind's gonna kick in. True. He sends them, anyways. And as he's sending them on this journey and the wind stops them, there's this trial and tribulation of wind, there's this fear for their life, all of a sudden the disciples do the same thing you and I start doing. They start doing the same thing that Habakkuk does. They start freaking out. They're scared. And the Bible says that at 3 a.m. in the morning, in the the fourth quarter of the night, it goes 6 to 9, 9 to 12, 12 to 3, 3 to 6, 3 a.m. in the morning, the darkest hour of the night, the coldest hour of the night, Jesus is praying on this mountaintop. He gets off the mountaintop. He sees the storm. He knows it's coming, and he walks on water to his disciples, and he starts managing the situation, and the script changes in their life. And the Bible says this, that he goes up to his disciples, he looks them in the the eye from a distance on the water they're so freaked out they think he's a ghost it's like an episode of scooby-doo and they literally are trembling and he makes this statement are you hearing me do not be afraid man habakkuk in 600 years before christ you have something he doesn't have he looks forward to the messiah you look back on the story of his death and resurrection and then expect him again with the holy spirit living inside of you Do not be afraid. God is so faithful. And we don't understand why every storm takes place. But what if that storm in your life wasn't just trying to take you somewhere, but make you into someone? What if that storm in your life was creating this dependence on God that is so desperately needed for intimacy with God that he wants for you? Do not be afraid. Do you know this, Savior, that plans and purposes and works all things for the good for those who love him, and that no storms are coming but promises to walk on the water even when you're freaked out and engage you in the process and take you by the hand like he did with Peter and engage you in the situation so that you can not live in fear but you can be over. Overtaken by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Do you know this risen Christ? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope that we have in you and you alone. And this narrative of Habakkuk is so eerily similar to everything that we go through. Especially right now. When he's crying out to you in these first few verses and he says, why are the perverted winning? Why is justice being perverted? We look around at everything going on in our world and it just literally sounds like an echo of our own heart. But God, let our heart be transformed by a statement that says, yet I will follow you. Not if you meet my demands, not if you have a contingency plan that I agree with, Yet I will follow you because you're God. Jesus, thank you for coming to earth. Thank you for dying in our place. Thank you for conquering death. Thank you for sending your Holy Spirit. It doesn't give us a spirit of fear, but gives a sound mind to live out the gospel. We pray these things in your name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray this message connected with you, and we hope it gave you another way to connect with Jesus and your New Life family. For more ways to get plugged in here at New Life, you can visit our website at www.newlifeaberdeen.org. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week.